This podcast contains a light-hearted discussion of international foods where we will likely pronounce words incorrectly, get some facts wrong, be politically incorrect at times, and accidentally offend people through cultural stereotypes. If you can handle all that with good humour, then grab a drink and let's do this. Welcome to The Dish, the show that uncovers the stories behind the world's most famous dishes. We are your hosts, Tomo and Megzi from foodfuntravel.com. Join us and expert guests for tasty facts, foodie secrets and more. In this episode, we explore the flavors and history of the cuisine of the Yucatan Peninsula in southeast Mexico. Think Cancun, the Mayan ruins of Chichen Itza, Playa del Carmen, Merida, and more. Yes, and we eat some deliciously lardy Yucatecan cuisine. So you're eating into this soft but slightly crisp edge tortilla. It's like airy. Airy, full of fat with this juicy, stringy cochinita meat inside, pulled pork flavors. Oh, yeah, did so we mention you're not losing any weight in no. the Yucatan? Don't come here if you're trying to diet. Just there's, say. There's lard and everything. Expect that your salbutes might be deep fried in lard. And also that the tortilla itself was made with lard. Uh, yeah. They like lard. The, plus traditional Mayan dishes that are going to surprise you just a little. So not only does this dish have a name that is black stuff, which doesn't make you instantly go, I can't wait Ooh, to get there and eat time. black stuff. Yum time. But also the dish is jet black. It color. is. It it's really Really, pure yeah. black. Everything is hidden. It's like you're digging into a bowl of crude oil. <laughs> That's a good explanation. But trust us. Okay, don't get turned off. It actually really is tasty. Hola. Hey, everybody. Hola. Right, we are back. We are back with another episode of The Dish exploring the world's most famous dishes and some dishes that you should just try where you go because they're great. Yeah, this is our side series of things to try in X. blank, 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 blank. Wherever it happens to be that we are roaming around and eating food and we think that you should eat it too. And today we're going to be talking about what you should eat in the Yucatan region of Mexico. So the Yucatan actually includes where we've been living, so in the area of Merida, which is the Yucatan Peninsula, but it also does include the Quintana Roo region, which would be like Cancun, Playa del Carmen, Tulum, that whole entire area as well. And famously and importantly, Chichen Itza. Of course. Which I'm sure everybody listening to this has heard of. It's one of the biggest, most famous monuments of the Mayan culture. And today we are going to be talking a lot about Mayan food and Yucatecan food because really they're sort of rolled into one. First of all, let's talk a little bit about some of the key ingredients because actually Yucatecan food has evolved immensely from the pre, you know, sort of when the Aztecs were here and the Mayans and then we had the Spanish conquistadors come through and up until, you know, then they left and then became part of Mexico again and then it left Mexico. Mexico, and then it joined Mexico, and then it left Mexico, and then it joined it again, and here we are today. That's a semi-accurate picture of history. Thanks for that. That's that's literally everything that's ever happened here. <laughs> but pretty much, you know, because of all these things that have happened, the food has changed quite a bit. So we wanted to sort of go back to the original ingredients that they could find in the region and, you know, what makes Mayan cuisine, you know, so important and, you know, what they're still using today that they were using back then and, you know, what are some things that have radically changed the cuisine over the years? Yeah, and we're going to sum up some of the ingredients that you thought maybe were Mexican or Yucatecan and they're not. Or maybe you thought they were from elsewhere and they are. <laughs> so who knows? I guess you're going to find out right now. Do you know the answer to this one? So, the first one on our ingredients list, you can guess if it's Mexican or not, is tomatoes or tomatoes for our American friends. You say tomato, I say tomato. But we both say tomato because yeah. we're English American. No, we're not. Because we're English Australian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it turns out uh, that we were once told uh, by someone that tomatoes are Mexico's gift to the world. And yeah, they do. They come from Mexico, from Mexico. So, can you imagine... 
some of the world's leading dishes today what they would be without tomatoes. Like they wouldn't exist. We wouldn't have spaghetti bolognese. We wouldn't have lasagna. We wouldn't have pizza. And I'm just obviously just talking about Italian food, but there's obviously tomatoes used in other things. (laughs) You know, tomatoes are used in other things as well, obviously. And you're like, what? What would, how would I put anything on my meat pie? If it wasn't for tomatoes. Where would it be tomato ketchup? We wouldn't even have tomato ketchup. Exactly. We'd just have, like, brown ketchup. Yeah. That would be it. Gross. And we can't say spaghetti bolognese. Apologies to our Italian listeners. That's um, some uh, weird concoction made up by French and English people. We will be getting into that into an, in another episode. That would be a whole other episode. That is indeed. So, tomatoes, they're actually a, an indigenous ingredient, very specifically from Mexico. And so the Mayans would have had them long before the conquistadors turned up. Of course, one of the leading uh, ingredients in a lot of Mayan food is, of course, corn, where people in this region, uh, you know, pre-Catholicism, believe that they came from corn. Man was created from corn, and therefore it's actually really a spiritual vegetable for the people in this region and really important in their cuisine. Yeah, it's part of the Mayan mythology, and there's lots of artwork around the region that depicts the people coming from corn, pretty much. It's like a Mother Nature story. Yeah, super so, important to them around here. So we're not even going to try and lead anyone with corn as where that might come from. Nope. That is definitely a Mesoamerican food. Definitely. Either. Also, a few of the main meats that they had back in the day. Uh, turkey was a good one. How, how, what noise does a turkey make? No, I can't do it. Gobble, gobble, gobble. That's the best I've got. It just reminds me of Arrested Development. It's like, cock. I know that's a chicken. That's a chicken. I know it's a chicken, but it's like, what noise does a turkey make? I would really like to know what noises people think around the world a turkey makes. You think it's gobble, gobble, gobble? I, I don't think that uh, turkeys actually speak. So no, I don't <laughs> think it's gobble, gobble, gobble. But apparently that is what we've translated it to in English. Apparently that so. That's what they say. Uh, so turkey, they had white deer. Still do. Still do have white so, deer. Yeah, they can, actually that's their sort of game food around the Yucatan Peninsula. I'm not sure about the rest of Mexico, but definitely around here it's very popular. Uh, white deer. And, of course, we have a lot of ocean around us here. Seafood. Seafood is so important in this region. We'll be talking a little bit more about that later on as well. So another important food is pork. And I call it a food because it's not just a meat. To me, pork is food. Everything. But was that a Mexican food? Was that a Yucatecan food? No. 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 Pork does not come from this region at all. It was brought over here by the Spaniards. They brought it from Cuba. And they went, hey, let's uh, let's put a couple of these piggies on a boat, take them over to Mexico and see what we can do with them over there. And well, they did some pretty good stuff. They took it to Cuba first and then brought it to Mexico. That's true. It doesn't come from Cuba. No, they if don't. If anyone thought that pork and pigs come from Cuba... That's not true. No, they just went to Cuba before they came here. Yeah, that's kind of what I meant. well documented in some ancient stories that have been written down about the conquest. Um, yes. So, of course, yes, pork doesn't come from here. It was not available here. But now it's everywhere. Now it is everywhere. I mean, pork is like the Mexican meat now. It has overtaken turkey so quickly. Pork and beef are huge. And pork was not a thing. And in the Yucatan, beef is not really that big. That's more of a North Mexico, Central Mexico thing. Very but much so. pork is the meat and turkey is uh, definitely up there as well. Another thing that the Spanish brought with them was their Seville oranges. So Here's the big shocker. It's not just the oranges they brought. It is all citrus fruit. There was no citrus food yep. at all until conquest times. So, yeah, mm. like you pop, you know, that slice of lime in your Corona or you have it. What else do it? What else do you have you to put in everything? Everything. So oh, you put in your pico de gallo, everything. Lime, lemons, oranges. They did not come from Central America. Nope. They came from Southeast Asia, possibly Indonesia. Even a few sources reckon there might have been some in Australia in the early days. There but you go. Definitely from that side of the world. They made it over to the Mediterranean by around 1000 AD. Went crazy. Grew Went everywhere. Crazy. Everyone loved it. Mm-hmm. And then with all of this... Uh, exploring and conquesting that uh, the Mediterranean peoples were doing by 1492 or whenever it was that they actually got here. I think it was uh, 1512 they got to Mexico. They started to bring in citrus fruits after that. And citruses, it's the perfect climate here to grow them. It's just they weren't here before. And now they are. And people love them. And Seville orange 
which is not necessarily the orange we all talk about. It's definitely not one I'd really thought about until we got here. It's the most popular one because it's sour. Yeah, it's a sour orange or a bitter orange. And it's really, really prevalent in Yucatan cuisine. They use it in everything these days. So it's something that's definitely come over the pork and the oranges that has really taken the Yucatan region by storm. And they really created some unique and interesting dishes with those particular uh, foods that they brought over. It's a great acid to use for a marinade. And that is pretty much the primary thing they use it for. So they grow all of these Seville oranges and then they put meat in the juice. And then you get this delicious soft meat because it's all been broken down by the acid. It's fantastic. Now, another really important thing of Yucatan cuisine is a particular spice called achiote. Now, this actually does come from the Americas region, so it is from this kind of area-ish. It's closer than, you know, Spain. Mm-hmm. The Spanish didn't bring it with them. And this is really, really important in a lot of cuisine. You find it in so many of their different dishes. Tom, tell us exactly. You did a lot of research on this. Go ahead and tell us what this is. Well, basically, it's uh, this small prickly pod that grows on a, a small shrub or tree, and it's got these... These bright red seeds inside that they grind up into a paste to use for cooking. They also used to use it for dyes. So Mayan people would use it for face painting and even to dye clothes, apparently. But it is primarily at the moment now used in food, and it's used in a lot of different food, and it makes things go bright red. A food that we could talk about, we're not going to talk about on this episode, is al pastor, very famous Mexican-style taco meat, and that sits bright red if you've ever seen one of those they spin it around in front of a cooking thing on a vertical rotisserie cooking it up and it's like a bright red color and that's from achiote yes so yeah they are the main really important things of these regions so in summary things that are really important in yucatan cuisine that come from this region tomatoes tortillas and more importantly corn dough because corn dough is used to make a lot of different things not just tortillas in this region and turkey they all are from this area the things that are not from this area which are also really important pork that good old juicy fatty lard that comes from the pork Mm -hmm. and citrus didn't come but still really really important to this region today yeah so there is other stuff But when we talk about Yucatecan cuisine, as you'll find out as we go through this episode, there are dishes that are very much fusion and have been put together through many of those combinations of those different new world and old world ingredients. And then there are some really classic dishes which are like 100% Mayan. So we're going to try and differentiate between them as we go along and talk about the different culinary influences that have come in from abroad that have really shaped the cuisine here. Yep, not just the Spanish. No, not just the Spanish. Also the French the Dutch, Lebanese, and Afro-Caribbean, Cuban-style stuff as well, which all sort of blends into one, and we'll get into a bit more of why it does as we go through the episode. Now, the thing is, there's a lot of different dishes, a lot, a lot, a lot. So we're not going to cover all of them. We're really just looking at some of our favorite things. This is what to eat in the Yucatan region. So we're focusing on some of our all-time favorite dishes. But if you are interested in finding out more about the food of this region, we do have a complete in-depth article that you can check out. Just head to foodfuntravel.com slash Mayan food, and you'll find our complete like 6,000 words, Mm -hmm. 6,000 word article, um, all about the different foods, drinks, snacks, different things that you can find in this region to get a more in-depth guide to Yucatecan cuisine. Yeah, more than 50 things that you can eat and drink whilst you are here at foodfundtravel.com slash Mayan food, all one word. Okay, so let's get on to the first section of food. We've sort of broken this up into things that are a bit more snack-like starters, those sort of things, and main course sort of things that we love. I don't know if we're going to get to dessert. I guess we'll see. We very rarely do. We rarely do. (laughs) Let's start with snacks. In this region, snacks are known as botanas. And if you go into some of the local cantinas here, the cantinas are the local traditional bars that are open from 1 p.m. till 10 p.m. pretty much every single day. Uh, If you order a drink, you will get some botanas. You will get given some snacks. Depending on the place that you're in depends on the quality of the snacks that you'll get. So you can walk into a place and you'll maybe get, you know, some chips and popcorn. And that's just a basic sort of place. But we're going to talk to you about some of the really cool snacks you can get in some of the really cool cantinas around this region. Yeah, or you can find somewhere and just order them because these are the ones that are definitely worth giving a go. So number one 
is Sikil Pak. I've almost certainly pronounced that a little bit wrong. Of course, that's a Mayan word. Now, this is one of the dishes that is very traditional Mayan. And delicious. It's made from ground pumpkin seeds, and pumpkins and squashes are native to this region as well, or at least to the Americas. So they take the seeds, they grind it. They use these pumpkin seeds in lots of things. It's crazy. Uh, they mix it up with a bit of tomato, a bit of habanero, uh, salt, a few other little bits and pieces. And then you can just eat it with tortilla chips, which we love to do. Whether that's the traditional way, I don't know. But there are some other dishes that they mix it into, so they will put some of this sauce inside the dish to give it extra flavor. So it's sort of used not just as a, you can eat this off the plate, but also as a seasoning. And it's amazing. I mean, it's just this rich tomato-y, but also that, I know that, that when you grind nuts up and you've just got that sort of slightly oily texture in your mouth, but also the, the nutty, ah, I don't even know how to describe that. It's brilliant. If you're eating peanut butter, imagine you're eating peanut butter, but it doesn't taste a peanut. Instead, it tastes a little bit spicy and a little bit tomato-y. That's sort of what you've got. It is definitely our all-time favorite dip that we have discovered in this region. And we found it pretty early on. We were, you know, really lucky. We walked into a container and we were like, what is this? It's amazing. It's like sludge on a plate. So we're like, oh, they brought us some sludge. What is this? It doesn't look pretty. No. And then you eat it. You're like, oh my God. But I tell you, if you mention this dish to any local, you're like, hey, you can use like Sickle Park. They'll be like, oh, you know about food. Okay. Okay. Let's, let's do this. So, you know, if you, if you drop that into conversation, you look cool AF. It's probably one of the biggest differences between visiting the Yucatan state, which is sort of Valladolid, Merida, and Chichen Itza, and away from the tourist areas of Quintana Roo. If you visit this area rather than there, if you went to Playa del Carmen... I don't probably, think you're getting that there. No, I mean, you can get it, but it's not going to be something they're just going to bring out on the table. No. They're going to bring you out pico de gallo. They're going to bring you out guacamole. They're going to be like, well, this is what Americans think Mexican food is. But Mayan food and Mexican food are not the same thing. And that's super important when we're talking about this. So if you come to Merida, you can just walk into a cantina and they just serve you this. No matter where you're from, they'll just go, well, this is good. This is what we eat. It's great. Yeah. So if you go into Plato Carmen on a trip, you're going to have to ask for it when you go into a restaurant. And they might not even have it. You're going to have to search it out. But if you come into Merida, it's going to be easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on to the second one. This one is super famous and obviously one everybody would have heard of. It's tamales. 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 Quite often you can uh, be you know, on the streets here in Merida and you'll hear just someone going, tamale! Tamale! <laughs> and that's just the lady like getting around selling her tamales. Just in case uh, you haven't really heard much about tamales before and this is completely new to you, uh, tamale is made with the masa corn dough which is just the same mashed dough that they might use to make tortillas. It's a dense dough that they then stuff with something such as turkey. Then they, they mash it down into a sort of a flat cake with that stuffing on the inside. They cover it in tomato sauce or they just wrap it in a banana leaf and steam it or bake it and then cover it in tomato sauce afterwards at the end. It's really popular. I have to admit, though, and I'm sorry if everyone's going to get offended by this, it's not my favorite. I find it really stodgy, and I love stodge, but it's just a bit too stodgy for me and never really full of enough meat. It's usually meant to be full of meat, and it's never as full as much meat as I would like it to be. So it's just that corn dough stodge. But... It is so famous in this region, and it's been around since the ancient Aztecs. Like, it's just, it's used for festivals, for Hanal Pashan, which is the local Day of the Dead. They serve them like crazy for many, many family gatherings and festivals. Tamales is the thing. It's so important in this region. Yeah, I'm not a massive fan of them either, but it's definitely something that I'll eat if it's on the table. And oh, it, that's true. I will eat it if it it's is, in front of me. I mean, come on. This is an ancient food. Judging people on a food that was invented 2,000 years ago is hardly fair, and it's still good, and it's still made relatively the same way as it was. Mm. So although the, the exact historic information about this is a little bit fuzzy because it is from so long ago, it's definitely Aztec or Mayan, so it's from this area that it originated uh, that's where the oldest historical evidence is. The oldest archaeological evidence has shown. Yeah, they've at actually least found it carved old. into stone. That's what we're talking about. Archaeological evidence. There's like carved into stone evidence of tamales or what they think to be tamales. Probably it's on a advertising. Rock. It's ancient food. It's, it's advertising. an old. It's it's an old old El Paso <laughs> tamale. Get my tamales here. <laughs> it's Taco Bell for the Aztecs. 
Pretty much. So they have been making this for as long as anyone can document. And we know it was one of them. It's this region. It's and crazy, yeah. Although these days it's stuffed with things like chicken, which is another meat that doesn't come from here. So Asian meat that has made its way to the Americas. But uh, they had some very unusual things back in the day. Yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> we found a list online. We found a list. We, we didn't know this off the top of our head. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't Let's just magically know this. Okay. Uh, frog. Frog. Which makes sense. You know, people eat frog. That's cool. That's fine. Rabbit. Actually, I really like rabbit. That's cool. Fish, of course. Lots of fish. Eggs from the region. Uh, they still stuff them with eggs sometimes. They do, actually. Uh, one of the more interesting ones I came across was flamingo. Yeah, there's definitely lots of flamingos around there here. There are, but I don't know how much meat that. They're just sticks. If they you're are hungry, flying sticks. If that's what's available and you're hungry, you stuff sticks. it in a tamale and you eat it. I guess, but I thought that was bizarre. And they also said a pocket gopher. Pocket gopher. A pocket gopher. Sorry, what? Yeah. So <laughs> I have no idea what a pocket gopher is. I decided to leave the research there because I was like, I'm intrigued, but not enough to research it. I want you guys to actually find out for me what a pocket gopher is. Or if you happen to know, write into us. Uh, I am Megzy at foodfuntravel.com. Write to me and tell me what a pocket gopher is because apparently it makes a mean tamale. Apparently so. And so that was some of the Aztec ingredients they used to stuff it with. Uh, we also had a quick look at what the Mayans were specifically stuffing theirs with. And so, of course, turkey and the white deer that we mentioned earlier and fish, these are all things that are easily available. But another unusual one we discovered, apparently iguana was a stuffing. That's crazy. But I mean, it makes sense. They're everywhere. And some of them are big, really big iguanas. So you could probably get a fair amount of meat off them. But I don't know what it, I guess it would it taste like snake or crocodile? I don't know. Yeah, Lizardy? Yeah, it's, it's going to taste lizardy. Lizardy? <laughs> That sort of makes sense. I don't know. I've had crocodile, and crocodile's delicious, but I don't know if iguana would taste the same. Tamales! 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 <laughs> Tamales! Really popular. Also, you get one of your standards, your chips and salsa. So you've got one of the best things you can get. You don't want a pack of Doritos put in front of you, and you very rarely will get a pack of Doritos put in front of you. Uh, never in this area. Not in this area. It's usually uh, tortillas that have got old, so they can't use them, so they chop them up, they fry them up, and they use them as chips the next day. That's what you want, that's what you like, that's what's delicious. Mm -hmm. And they, of course, put a selection of salsas in front of you. So this could be a pico de gallo, which is your tomato and your that's onion and your cilantro. Your it's not, but you'll get it a lot in this region. Something in particular, that uh, a salsa that is really, really local from this area, is the chub tomate. Chil tomate is the local version of pico de gallo, and it's actually a little bit more complicated, and for my money, perhaps maybe a little bit more tasty. What mm. they do is they take whole habanero peppers, and we didn't talk much about habaneros before. I'll mention a bit more about that later. You've probably heard of them. Of course, this is a famous chili, but there's actually a bit of history to it as well. But for this chil tomate, they take the habanero peppers and the whole tomatoes, and they throw them straight on hot coals literally on the coals, not on the grill above. So they just char on the outside and they get super, super barbecue flavored. And then they mash that up. So it's like smoky and charred. And when that's in a salsa together, mixed with a few other little ingredients and some salt, it is fantastic. Delish. Yeah. That's definitely one of my favorites of the region, I have yeah. to say. Um, habaneros in particular, let's touch on that a little bit, because they are actually crazy famous in this region. They didn't originally come from the area. They came from the Amazon, actually, and they spread up into Mexico. But... It was quite a while ago. They've been in this region for a really long time. And habaneros have been around for a really long time. They have found, like, an old domesticated habanero in the, like, Peruvian highlands that was from 6,500 B.C. Like, wow. crazy old peppers going on that, you know. Yeah, and that's the domesticated version. So the exactly. original ones would have been there long before that. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, these are really, really old school peppers, really famous in the region. They got all the way to Mexico. Then, of course, the Spanish came to Mexico and took over, and the Spanish spread them to the rest of the world. Today, in fact, uh, the Yucatan Peninsula, 
is the largest producer in Mexico and perhaps even in the world. Yeah. So the Yucatan and the Mayans, although this is not the original place where the chili grew, it's quite possible it was here before colonial times. And now at least it is the place that loves it the most and grows it the most. It's everywhere. And also, if you don't know habanero, maybe if you're from England, like me, uh, they're not always called habaneros. Sometimes they're called Scotch bonnet, which might be a sub-variant of the same thing. But yeah, that's it. It's the funny little bumpy, short, round, fat pepper that looks a little bit like a hat a Scotsman would wear. Is that? That's why it's called Scotch bonnet, because <laughs> it looks like a crumpled up little hat. The imagery is amazing. Sort of green, like a tartan would have some greens and stuff oh on it. Oh my god, I had no idea. <laughs> yep, that's where the name comes from because it actually. <laughs> <laughs> say what you see, people. Say what you see. <laughs> England's good at that. Yeah. <laughs> have, a, have a what? No, oh, no, Scotch bonnet. Scotch bonnet. Hey, it's a Scotch bonnet. <laughs> but uh, actually, the habanero held the Guinness World Records for the hottest pepper. At one stage, it was long back. Time ago. It was a long time ago. People keep breeding peppers, and they keep splicing them and breeding them and making them so insane. You just like vomit on sight. You don't even have to eat it. You're just like, oh, look at that, and that's that's it. That's how spicy the peppers are. But they did actually hold the world record in 1999. So you know they got that going for them. Yeah, and yet people actually eat them here. They'll just pick up oh, the pepper and they'll raw. eat the end of it. They'll just. Eat bits off Just it. Just take a bite. So it's crazy how much hotter chilies have got since then. Mm -hmm. All right, we're going to do one more from the snacks section. Now, there's loads and loads of other snacks, but we've just picked out some of our favorite ones and hopefully the ones that you guys will be able to find more easily as well. Even though they are not American Mexican food that's being served in Plata Common, these are ones that are definitely available in this region. You can ask for them. So the final one, what is this? So one of the things that we really, really had to mention because we love is kibbies. Now, mm, kibbies. <laughs> kibbies are a fried food. Now, what is it made out of? It's, it's a, a dirty little street snack, but you can also get it in restaurants. Originally, it was made from lamb. Now, it's quite often made from beef, and it's ground up with bulgur wheat. That's which it. Is some sort of wheat. Don't ask me what it is. Look it up on Google. But it's a wheat thing that holds it together, and it's deep fried. Occasionally, it's stuffed with things here. Cheese is always a good stuffing, yes. and we'll be talking a little bit more about the cheese they use in the next section. And the crazy thing is that this is not really Yucatecan. It's actually Lebanese Yucatecan. Yes. The Lebanese came over sort of in the late 19th century mm -hmm. and obviously brought with them some of their foods that they make as well. Some people will say like the al pastor that we mentioned earlier. Some people might say that's actually Iraqi immigrants, not Lebanese. Ah, it's a lot oh. of contention. We'll get to that on another episode. Uh, but they definitely 100% did bring the kibbies with them. And you can actually find street sellers on corners selling kiwis. You can be sitting on the beach and someone will walk along and be like, hey, you want a kibbie? And you'll be like, yeah, I want a kibbie. Kibbies. Kibbies. Uh, there's some great Lebanese restaurants around Merida. There's some great Lebanese restaurants around the Yucatan. I highly recommend it. You can also, in some seafood restaurants, get uh, pescado kibbies, which has fish in them. And Instead they of beef. Instead of beef. It's a seafood kibbe. And, you know, I'm not a massive fish fan, but I will eat those kibbies like there's no tomorrow. They These, are delicious. They are at their best when they've just come out the fryer and they've gone crispy on the outside. But when you bite into them, the middle is still like this soft, slightly falling about meaty, doughy mess. And it's fantastic. And you put a little bit of sort of cabbagey stuff on top of it. Or some raw onion. Maybe some bit raw onion. A bit of raw onion works as well yeah. or whatever. And kibbies are fantastic. Love kibbies, best thing that Lebanon brought, and then Pastor came after that. So it was like they brought that first, and then Pastor came after that. All right, that, we're done with snacks for now, I think, because uh, we've got to get through some more tasty food before we run out of time. So let's talk about some really good main courses or like big big fuerte courses, the strong courses, oh, yeah. as they're called here. Well, if there's anything that we talk about in the region, we have to firstly talk about cochinita. Because if we didn't, I think the locals would just rise up and be like, why didn't you talk about the cochinita first? It's like everything. And it really is. It's 
everything here. Everybody loves their cochinita. It, they have really special cooking practices and they do it in the dead of night. And it's this crazy big thing to make the cochinita, but it is amazing. So you might be going, what the hell is cochinita? Let's explain. Okay, cochinita is actually pork. So <laughs> a little more recent. It's not actually a traditional Mayan food. Uh, it is pork that by the end of it, it comes out a bit like pulled pork. So you can imagine it, all this sort of grained up, like mashed up bits of pork where it's just like strands of deliciousness. But the important thing about this is they use some of those really specific Yucatecan ingredients blended together. The pork is marinated in achiote, the bright red spice, and Seville orange, the acid the citrus that breaks it down, as well as a few other things like cumin and potentially uh, oregano, which is another thing that's popular here. Everyone also has their own special little spice mix as well. So you'll never vary. really get a cochinita that's exactly the same. Everyone does it the way that their grandma taught them. Their abuela, their abuela taught them a certain way to do it. And so that's how they do it. And it's sort of passed down that way, which makes it good. It means like no cochinita is the same. So you're always out there trying new people's cochinitas. Mm. Um, the interesting thing is the way that this particular meat is cooked. They don't just like whack it in the oven. Well, they whack it in a oven. But not the oven you're expecting. No. Uh, the name of the dish, the full name is not cochinita actually, it's cochinita bibil uh, because it is cooked in the pib, which is the traditional Mayan oven, or that's the name they use for this, but this oven doesn't necessarily come from Mayan lands originally. It's been adopted through immigration. So more recently, from Afro-Caribbean immigration is what the history books reckon. Yes. I wasn't alive at the time. I can't confirm this 100%. But from what we've researched, this cooking style actually probably came from Africa. And even the experts can't be sure if it came from Africa or if it started in Cuban-Caribbean region after immigrants came here no. and then developed it. So essentially what the PIB is, is they dig a big hole, they put some coals in there, they put some banana leaves down, they put some meat on the banana leaves, they put all the spices and everything, they cover it up with more banana leaves, and then they bury it, and they let it cook. And that is the PIB. So as we said, yeah, it has been ties to different Caribbean islands that do this same sort of cooking style. Essentially, the word for barbecue all comes from this whole sort of background of this. So the Spanish saw people cooking in this style of way and they called it barbacoa. And you might have heard of barbacoa because you can actually get like barbacoa tacos and stuff like that. But this is actually the cooking style, which is that underground cooking way. And they saw this in the Caribbean. So they called it barbacoa. That's barbecue. Barbecue evolved. And now, you know, we've got barbecue in America. We've got barbecue in Australia. And that's sort of where barbecue came from. But it initially was this underground cooking method. Yeah, people have always grilled meat, but the word barbecue is based around this specific way Yeah, cooking meat underground. Interestingly enough, the whole idea of barbecue was sort of frowned upon by the uh, the, the elites of, of the world. They saw it as a barbaric way to eat food because they saw native people eating it. Then there also was some dude who wrote a book about seeing people in the Caribbean getting into all acts of cannibalism and all stuff like that. There actually is no real evidence except for one dude going, yeah, they ate people. There's no evidence to show that there was any sort of cannibalism in the region, but people do like a good rumor. And so it spread. And at first barbecue was sort of frowned upon because – yeah, it was seen as like a cannibalistic thing or the savages ate that. But then they ate some tasty, tasty pork and went, dang. It's amazing. It's, I guess it's not so bad after all. The world has sort of turned around from everything that poor people eat is disgusting to being now like, because the, the elite were even questioning tortillas. And they were like, we don't want tortillas, we want bread. And we'll be talking a bit more about bread in this region later. But the elite people were going, that's disgusting. Why do you eat food like that? And now in the 21st century, everyone's rediscovering street food and going, this is the best food in the world. Like down home cooking is the best food. And maybe the fancy, fancy, fancy food isn't really as good. No, everyone's digging simple, authentic flavors. Like everybody just wants what grandma makes. Like what, is, what does your grandma make? I'll eat that. That sounds good. Well, grandma's here making cochinita. They are. Because if you want to go and see it done, and we still haven't been able to do that, it's very hard to find someone out in the countryside who's actually doing it. Because as I said, they start this process at like midnight. Yeah. 
It's no, an overnight it's... cooking thing. They dig the hole, they throw it in on the hot coals, they get up in the morning early and they dig it out. And sometimes it's a whole pig, sometimes it's a whole pig shoulder or a couple of pig shoulders, like just a whole bunch of meat. And it used to be something that they served just on Sunday mornings, but now it's literally served everywhere all the time. They've always got it in stock because it's that popular. And it is awesome. It it's is really good. Succulent, just juices explode in your mouth the second you bite into one of these. And as we said, it's like that pulled pork. It's that stringy, oh. loose, juicy, flavorful pork meat that's just absolutely divine. Yep. Spice it up with a little bit of chili salsa on top and a, a little bit of onions, and it's amazing. One of our all-time favorite ways to eat this, and this is going to segue really nicely into our next Yucatecan food, is to have them on a local thing. It's You can either have it on a salbute or a panucho. Now, essentially, this is just a tortilla, but they've fried the tortilla so it comes up crispy and crunchy and fluffy, but you can still fold it. Like, it's not so crunchy that it breaks when you fold it, so it's not like a hard tortilla. It's just... How do you, it just, it's foldable, but it's fluffy and crunchy and awesome. So if you're having a sabote, this is just a plain fried tortilla. If you're having a panucho, then they've actually stuffed that tortilla with refried black beans and fried that as well. And they are amazing. You put your cochinita on that, you wrap it up as a tortilla, you put some spicy habanero on top, you take a bite and you go to heaven. Yeah. The sabotes are really fluffy. Because there's nothing in them, it's just a tortilla, it goes straight in the fryer before it gets too crispy, they pull it out, it just puffs up. So you're eating into this soft but slightly crisp edge tortilla. It's like airy, it yeah. makes it airy. Airy, full of fat with this juicy, stringy cochinita meat inside, pulled pork flavors. Oh, yeah, do so we good. mention you're not losing any weight in no. the Yucatan? Don't come here if you're trying to diet. Just there's, saying. There's lard in everything. Expect that your salbutes and panuchos might be deep fried in lard, not in uh, some healthy oil. And also that the tortilla itself was made with lard. Uh, yeah. They like lard. The dough is probably made with lard. The panuchos are normally a little bit crispier, and they leave them in a little bit longer, and they, they still fold, but yeah. A little bit more crispy. A little crunchier, but I really love the refried bean on the inside. Mm. It, it just gives it a really great flavor and a really good taste. Now, you're going to find these on pretty much every menu, whether you go to Playa del Carmen, Cancun, or anywhere. Just ask for it, look for it. It's something that people are doing. It's like the most popular street food in this area. You can but, have a lot of different things on it. It's not just cochinita. You can have turkey on it. You can have chicken on it. You can have lechon, which is just a different type of pork. You can have a couple of different types of pork on it. Now, these... Specific things, the panuchos, are actually a more modern innovation. Quite interesting that they didn't come around until the late 19th century. Someone didn't think, let's put some beans in the tortilla and deep fry it. That didn't happen until then. So people have been eating tortillas for a very, very long time, but panuchos are a little bit more modern. There but you go. they have become huge. And uh, one of the local professors here who we met up with, he told us that panuchos have really before the 70s, they just had maybe turkey in or maybe a little bit of vegetables thrown on top or salad. So the fact that you can now have the cochinita meat on a panucho, that's actually super recent. Yeah. And it's like the best innovation in Yucatecan cuisine that has happened in the history of Yucatecan cuisine. It's such a great combination. Yeah, they were pretty old school with like, oh, no, you can only have this on panuchos and, oh, you can only have that on sabotes. And as modern cuisine has gone forward, pretty much people are going, well, I'm going to give anything a try on panuchos. Let's see how this fits. And, you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. That's what the evolution of cuisine is. And there's some pretty, pretty tasty stuff going on in this region. That is for shiz. Speaking of tasty stuff, now we started with one of the most famous dishes, but now we're moving on to one of our favorite dishes. I love it. I really do love it. And I've tried this in so many different places, just trying to find the best in the region. I am addicted. I don't think I've really ever done that in any place I've been to where I'm like, I'm going to try this at every restaurant just so I can find the best because I love this and I need to know which is the best. But we know why. Because it's <laughs> made primarily with cheese. <laughs> yeah, the name of it is queso relleno, which translates exactly into stuffed cheese. Yes. Now, if you haven't had this already, and we hadn't had it until we came to the Yucatan, 
I think you need to fly to the Yucatan just to have this because I don't think you're yeah. going to see it anywhere else. I've, no, I've never seen it. I had never heard of it. It's certainly on not on your regular Mexican menu. No. Actually, most things in this region you're not going to find on your re- regular Mexican menu. Sure. If you're walking into a Yucatecan restaurant, you're not going to see quesadillas. You're going to see empanadas. You're going to see... No burritos. No, you're not going to see burritos. You're probably not even going to see guacamole. What you are going to see is cochinita, and you're going to see this, queso relleno. Now, this has a really interesting backstory because the cheese that they use is not some sort of local Mexican cheese. It's actually Dutch Edam cheese. A big ball of it. A big, big ball. ball of cheese wrapped in some red plastic that they tear off, and then all of the fancy bit from the middle that's like the softer part of the cheese, the, the better part of the cheese, allegedly, they take that out, they get rid of that, and they use it for other dishes. Then once they've hollowed that cheese out, they stuff it with meat that has been spiced with all these different local spices. I think they, it's called a picadillo, which we're not going to go into, but it, it's like a minced meat that has a lot of different spices added to it. And sometimes some dried fruit, occasionally capers as well, because they're all of these influences coming from Europe. And then that is baked so that the cheese starts to melt. The meat's all been cooked previously before it's mixed in. Then they slice that. So you've got this slice of cheese filled with meat and cover it in this white sauce, local white sauce that's made with turkey stock, macedoe to thicken it and some other local spices. And then they top it off with beautiful rich tomato sauce and and that's it it's cheese stuffed with meat covered in sauce and tomato to top it off it's brilliant and sometimes they will throw in a couple of olives to make it ooh la la fancy fancy time and that's one of the new things so the original case oriano is probably at least 150 years old and then they've started adding olives they add dry fruit to the white sauce as well now all of these things have sort of been a slow evolution of the food. So the really interesting thing about this dish is that it actually came out of poverty. So the elite of the region would just eat their fancy soft inside Dutch cheese and then they would discard the rinds, the the outside part of it, and they weren't interested. And the servants that they had would take these rinds, they would then make up the mince and cook it in the rind and then make up their very, very Mayan sauce, which is the cool blanco. Uh, the white sauce. Ka'ul. Ka'ul. We can't pronounce it. I know, it. I'm so bad at Mayan. I apologize to anyone listening who speaks Mayan because I'm so bad No at one it. Mayan will listen to this. They already know what all this food is. Yeah, they know anyway. But yeah, the their blanco, their white sauce, and then with the tomato on top. And that's what the servants would eat. It was like a leftover cheese dish that they would eat. And it's now actually the best dish of the region. The stuff that the rich people were throwing away has become the best dish you can possibly have in the Yucatan. And I love the Dutch Edam cheese here because in England and anyone else who's from England, when you eat Edam, it's sort of this mild, slightly boring, just plain cheese. But the one they get here is so strong in flavor. It's almost like Dutch Parmesan cheese, Parmigiano. Yeah. And interestingly enough, they don't have to refrigerate it. So you'll go downtown to the market and they'll just have it sitting out. And they'll be like, you want some cheese? And you'll be like, yeah, all right. That's exactly why it's here and why it's so popular is because, of course, they didn't have refrigeration hundreds of years ago. And Edam cheese was designed in a way to be exported so that it would last without refrigeration. So that's why the outer rind became so hard and horrible and why they didn't want to eat it. But once you cook it up again, it becomes fantastic. Uh, Absolutely. So, yeah, queso relleno. All right. So cheese in sauce. We talked about pork. Now, maybe we should talk about something that's a much closer to a traditional Mayan dish. Yeah, this one is really famous in the region, but for an average person coming to visit here might not look so tantalizing. But trust us, you should really try it. The name of the dish is Rieno Negro, uh, which actually just translates to uh, black stuff. So not only does this dish have a name that is black stuff, which doesn't make you instantly go, I can't wait to get there and eat black stuff. Yum time. But also the dish is jet black. It is. It's really really, pure black. Everything is hidden. It's like you're digging into a bowl of crude oil. (laughs) That's a good explanation. But trust us, okay, don't get turned off. It actually really is tasty. Uh, So let's tell you a little bit about what it is. So Rihanna Negro, it's 
made with turkey meat. So you've got that traditional turkey meat of the region, and it's in a jet black Ricardo Negro sauce. But they also use the turkey stock as well to sort of thicken that sauce up and also, of course, add in their masa. They love the masa. I have to talk about Ricardo Negro a little bit. Go for just it. briefly, Ricardo is just the name they use for spice blend here. That's the local name. So you've got Ricardo Negro, Ricardo Blanco, Ricardo Rojo. Ricardo is just the spice blend. Now, Ricardo Negro specifically is made normally from ancho chilies, which are thrown on the fire. They love this throwing stuff on the fire. It's, yeah, there's so many charry, smoky, earthy flavors in this region. It's fantastic. And so they blacken off those chilies and then they grind them down and mix them with some other spices to make this Ricardo Negro. And that's why the sauce is so black because it's all burnt chili. Yeah. But it's not as spicy as it sounds. Sometimes it can be quite spicy. Depends on the exact chili they use. But it's not normally crazy. I think... It's blended with the turkey stock and everything else. It's, it's blended yeah. out a bit. If anything, I would refer to this sauce as smoky. And you'll get different levels of smokiness. So sometimes it's spot on and you're like, dang, that's some good smoke. And sometimes it can be a little intense. So if you have one and you find that it's like not to your liking, don't be turned off from it. Give it another try in another place because some places are absolutely nailing that smoky flavor. It just comes down to like your own particular sort of preference really when, when it comes to that. But the thing that I personally love about the Riano Negro is this it, it's got the turkey meat in there, which is fantastic, but it also has this interesting little meatball. Big now, meatball. It, okay. It's a big meatball. It's huge. It's like, it's bigger than a baseball. It is. Okay. It is a big meatball. I'll give you that. Uh, the reason why it's so big is there's usually like a whole hard boiled egg in the center. And around that hard boiled egg is a mixture of the Ricardo Negro and also uh extra turkey meat that's been ground down and they make this this spicy meatball mix with the boiled egg in the center and they put that in there and so when you get that with the sauce with the turkey strips and they also give you a side of tortillas as well and you make this messy 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 tortilla don't expect this to be a neat meal like tuck that napkin straight into your shirt and prepare to be get messed up because it's a messy meal but it is delicious get right in there get the tortillas in there use it as a spoon and just shove it all in your mouth and really enjoy this dish I can't recommend trying it enough. I think it will turn a lot of people off looking at it, and we will have pictures of it in the show notes so you can check it out. But please just give it a try because it's so traditional. And if you mention to any local that you've had the Riano Negro, you'll instantly get, like, kudos points with them. You're like the brave foreigner. Exactly. So, yeah, giant meatballs in a turkey stew that's jet black. Sometimes the meatballs are made with turkey. Sometimes now they're made with pork. But, of course, traditionally they wouldn't have been able to make them with pork. That's a new thing. Um, but yeah, fantastic dish. Don't miss out on that. Let's move into seafood. As I said, we can't even think to cover all of the dishes in this region. We've only covered three main courses and now we're moving on to seafood already. So do remember to jump on our article foodfuntravel.com slash Mayan food to see the other 40 plus dishes and see lots of photos and everything else. Let's move on to seafood because in this region, and I only learned this recently, the octopus, which I love octopus so much. Octopus is one of my favorite things. But apparently almost 90% of all the octopus that is sold in Mexico is fished in this region around the Yucatan down to Campeche and around the Yucatan Peninsula area. So if you're eating octopus here, you're probably eating it about as fresh as it's going to get. Yep. And they do some really interesting things with it as well. Of course, you can get your regular grilled octopus, which is fantastic. They make it nice and crispy. You can have it in a garlic lime butter, which is awesome. Yeah. Mojo de ajo. But we've discovered our absolute favorite octopus dish to have in the region is their pulpo frito ceviche, which is their fried octopus ceviche. Now, you're going to be sitting there going, hang on. That's not ceviche. Isn't ceviche raw fish cooked in lime and not actually cooked with heat at all? That's not ceviche. Well, yeah. And in, uh, in Peru and parts of South America and the traditional way where it was invented, ceviche definitely is raw seafood. But in Mexico and definitely in Yucatan, it doesn't seem like that idea has caught on. And they've gone along with all the seafood being already cooked and then they just mix it in with the... The sour flavors and the tomato and the onion. And you may go, oh, that's a bit of a letdown. Well, when you have fried octopus in ceviche, it is not a letdown because you're getting this hot, crispy octopus thrown in with the cold, slightly spicy, slightly sour ceviche flavors. 
it's not disappointing at all. It's amazing. No, it's really good. And it's absolutely rocked our world. And it's really, we've been to a lot of places and we've never seen a dish like this before. I have to admit, I'm not as much of a fan as octopus as Tom is, but I will get in on this. It is delicious. The crispy fresh. And I have to stress fresh. You know, the main issue a lot of people have with seafood is they're like, oh, I don't want it to taste seafoody. And I'm exactly the same. We have eaten so much seafood since we've been in this region. And I can say it is a rare occurrence that anything has actually tasted seafoody. So get in there, give the pulpo a try because it's crispy, it's crunchy and mixed in with all those fresh local flavors. It's absolutely to die for. Yeah. Totally amazing seafood around this region. One of the other things, very quickly, also pescado frito. It's not specifically from here. Unlike the pulpo frito ceviche, which I have not been able to find on Google anywhere apart from the Yucatan Peninsula, it seems to be a super local thing. Uh, pescado frito is a whole deep fried fish that isn't battered. It's just the skin is salted, it's thrown in, it goes so crispy on the outside, but stays soft in the middle. It's, it's the best fried fish in the world. I'm going to jump out there. We've been to some 85, 86 countries, and it is the best fried fish in the world. Sorry, England. I know fish and chips is your thing. I grew up with that, but Mexico is frying a better fish. So take a look out for that on the menu. Even though it's not Yucatecan, I just don't want you to miss out on that one. Yeah. So after all this conversation, you must be like, so they haven't mentioned tacos. I haven't mentioned tacos at the, all. I thought if I'm going to Mexico, I should be eating the tacos. Hmm. Hmm. What about that? Well, tacos is not really a Yucatecan thing. <gasps> what? What? Um, well, it is. So don't get me wrong. There's plenty of tacos available here now. In the 21st century, there are definitely taco options. But when you head out to a Yucatecan restaurant to eat traditional Yucatecan food, you are not getting offered tacos. You're getting offered panuchos and sabudes that we talked about earlier, like deep fried uh, tortillas. You get tortillas served with every meal. So you order your queso relleno and you'll get tortillas on the side and you can make your own tacos. But they're not serving up a plate full of tacos. That's not a thing. So if you're eating tacos here, you're probably eating Mexican food, not Yucatecan food. Yep. Of course, tortillas have been a part of Mayan cuisine since the beginning of time. But we just really want to be specific here that tortillas are not tacos. Tacos are made with tortillas, yes. But tortillas are really universal and they can be used to do a lot of things. And pretty much traditionally up until, I mean, from what we heard, up until about the 70s, tortillas were mostly used as a spoon, as a scooping agent, as something, you know, to sort of wipe up juices with. It wasn't actually stuff stuffed in a thing. And the actual definition of a taco is a corner wheat tortilla folded or rolled around a filling. So unless you're actually, and you can of course go and do that yourself, but that was never something that was traditionally done in this region. It wasn't served. Nope. Not this is served. the difference. It's a dish is only a dish when it's served. If you're making it up on your plate yourself, that's not a dish that's been served. And here at the dish, we're very specific about whether it's a dish or whether it's someone playing with their food. And so we go into this in much greater depth in our episode on tacos. So look out for that. And we talk about the actual history and etymology of the word and when it first started. And we interview some really great experts about the fact that tacos, dun, 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 is not an ancient food. Tortillas are ancient. Tacos is a modern street food. You'll learn a lot more about that in the tacos episode. Yeah. So, Actually, a lot of the time on the streets here, you'll probably be more likely to find tortas. And that's what we're going to talk about right now instead of tacos. Because tortas, if you know any Spanish uh, from Spain, not from Mexico, tortas is cake. Just means cake. But here, tortas is a sandwich. So in this region, you'll actually find that tortas are a lot more popular than tacos. Yesterday, you will find them both side by side on a menu, but you can be pretty much guaranteed that most locals would rather go for the torta option than the taco. It, it just seems to be like a local choice. It's what they're used to. Uh, people might be up in arms by hearing this, but from what we've noticed, it has been a lot more tortas. People choosing to have these local sandwiches. So it's, a, it's like a half a baguette, like a very 
French style baguette and uh, that you have meats and different sauces and maybe even some cheese on that. Interestingly enough, yeah, as we discussed before, the Dutch influence on this region, there is also some French influence as well. So from those French Caribbean islands, everybody was trading, everyone was swapping stuff around and somehow we got some tasty baguettes in this region. Well, people wanted the French stuff. France was considered to be the fancy place in the world and of course the Yucatan and specifically Merida in this region, they were exporting a lot of henequen, which they were using to make ropes. Big plantations around here called haciendas. They're big buildings outside of town where they were making this. People were incredibly rich and they wanted to be living the high life. And at the time in late 19th century, mid 19th century, oh, French the high cuisine life, was the shit. Yeah, the high life was French life. Yeah. And so instead of going crazy on Mexican street food and eating tacos, they went crazy on French bread, and they make a version of that called pan francaise. So it is specifically French bread. That's what the translation means. It's not really the same as baguette. It looks a little bit like it, but people are loving eating their fillings inside those sandwiches instead. And apparently, according to our friend Stefan Igor Diaz, who we interviewed for our taco episode, he wasn't even eating tacos here until the 70s, and it, he's at an age where he knows he was alive in the 50s and 60s. Tacos were not the thing. People were eating French bread made in a Mexican way, a Yucatecan way. Just that uh, Caribbean influence just dropping in again. Yeah, well, I mean, they'd have been sending Henneken directly to France and just being influenced by France directly as well. Obviously, there were many islands that were French Caribbean. Yeah. It would have been direct trade with Holland, with with France, and it affected the region a lot, the same way that many other cultures have affected this region. Absolutely. So that brings us to the end of the food. It's not the end. There's so much more, but that's all we have time to actually mention today. Um, I knew we wouldn't make it to dessert. No, there there are some desserts. Flan is really popular, but you know, flan's flan. Flan is flan. Flan's flan. It's just your second flan. They also do have some sweet fruits that they do, some sweetened fruits, uh, dolce de papaya and stuff like that. Um, We haven't tried it. We never get to dessert. So if you have tried it, please feel free to write in to us. We know we're really slack, but we're just not really dessert people. And we usually eat so much, we never, ever get there anyway. To be fair, we're not that slack because we've eaten like 50 plus other dishes (laughs) and a few desserts. We just haven't eaten every dessert because there's too much other stuff to eat. That's true. But if you have eaten some of the desserts of the region, feel free to email me, shoot me through a picture, some uh, information on some of your favorite desserts of the region to megzi at foodfuntravel.com we'd love to hear your favorite foods of the region it doesn't just have to be the dessert let us know if you've been to the region if you have tried some things that you really love or if you've just been listening to this episode tell us what you're most excited to try if you're ready to jump on a plane and head to the yucatan just to eat your face off tell us some of the foods that you want to try when you get here Yep, and don't forget, there are so many more other dishes to take a look at, plus all the photos of the dishes that we've been talking about, including that jet black crude oil Rieno Negro. It's really tasty, trust me. Uh, You can go and take a look at that at foodfuntravel.com slash Mayan food, all one word. Just chuck that in your browser, go take a look at that now. If you're on the bus, if you're on the train, you've got some 4G going on, look at it now. You know, this is the end of the episode. But... Just one more second before you do leave. We want you to help us out so that we can keep making more of these podcasts and informing you about the world's cuisine and some of the best dishes around the planet by sponsoring us on Patreon. Head to foodfuntravel.com slash extras and find out a little more about the benefits of becoming a patron of the show. Uh, You'll get bonus episodes, early access to new episodes, even ones from upcoming seasons, and more. For just a couple of bucks a month, you can really help support this show and allow us the opportunity to commit more time to making new episodes. Yes, so go to foodfuntravel.com slash extras for more information and uh, to sign up and become a patron. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Dish. Don't forget to subscribe and keep this podcast on the air by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen. Also, come join our foodie community on Facebook in the Food Worth Travelling For Facebook group. Catch you next time.